everyone. Really nice to uh, be with you. Uh, although it's slightly surreal uh, experience for me looking at a computer screen, knowing you're out there, but not knowing exactly where. I hope you've been enjoying the uh, Book of Ruth. Uh, we've been going through it. This is um, chapter four, kind of week four, maybe week five. We had an introductory week uh, before that. Um, and I love the story of Ruth. It's a fascinating story. I hope you realize this is more than just a love story, although there is a bit of that in there. It's actually much more a rescue story. And actually, that's probably one of my favorite genres in, uh, in movies is the classic rescue story. You know, someone gets kidnapped or trapped in some way, and there's a race against time, sometimes against enemies too. And the question is, will they be saved in time? Will the hero make it and set them free? And, and maybe more than just kind of those uh, fictional movies, maybe it's the real life rescue stories that actually mean more actually capture our hearts a little bit more. I wonder if you remember the news stories when the boys in Thailand got uh, trapped in the flooded caves and that was on our news for, for days and days or even maybe years before that many of you will still remember the Chilean miners, 33 miners in Chile got trapped when the mine collapsed and they were underground for 69 days. Can you remember, can you imagine uh, what it was like for them? I think it's probably especially powerful when we know that the situation is hopeless, but when there's literally nothing they can do to free themselves. Uh, and then when they, when they finally do get rescued, the emotion and the joy, the relief, the gratitude, it, it's like, oh, I remember tearing up on the news when they finally started getting them out. It's, it's the ultimate uh, feel-good moment. I know I'm a bit of a softie, so I, I tear up at a lot of things. This is probably one of the reasons uh, why the organisation IJM, International Justice Mission, possibly one of my favourite organisations in the world, they spend their time all around the globe, all around the clock, releasing people from slavery, people who are entrapped, imprisoned, uh, and they are just the most amazing uh, organization. Some of you probably get their emails every week or so, uh, and they say 25 released from captivity in India, or others released from captivity uh, in slavery in some horrendous ways in other countries uh, in the world. Um, and there's that theme of rescue that actually connects with our hearts in, in quite a special way. And this theme, uh, I believe we find in chapter four of the book of Ruth. And that's where we are today. If you've got it, uh, if you've got a Bible, you might find it useful or turn on the app. Um, maybe before we zoom into chapter four, it might help us again just to see some of the flow of the book. The way it's been written is, is very beautiful, but also very intentional. So take, for example, the beginning and the end. Now, Vic's just read the end of the story for us. But can you remember how it began? Well, here are uh, the opening words. And it begins with this these words, in the days when the judges ruled, in the days when the judges ruled. Now, this is really important because this was the most bleak time in Israel's history. You might be familiar with the Bible Project. Uh, we watched one of their introductory videos at the start of the Ruth series. They're the guys who do the sketch videos and really help us understand books of the Bible. They're all over YouTube. Well, Tim Mackey, the founder, uh, one of the founders and the theologian professor, of the Bible Project, he actually says this about the period of the judges. He says, it begins with the death of Joshua and basically tells the story of Israel's total failure. 
Israel's total failure. But when we read Judges, we shouldn't be thinking, oh, Gideon, I want to be like him. Or Samson, he had such great muscles. If only I could be like him. Actually, no. Judges is, is about total failure. The judges themselves were worse and worse and worse. And the whole of their society was, was just steeped in ugly violence and corruption and horrendous moral failure. So those words, the beginning of the story of Ruth, uh, in the days when the judges ruled, well, that would have immediately painted a picture of, of darkness and despair to those who would have heard the story first or who would have read the story in those early years. But then, that's the beginning, but then the end of the story, the story ends with a curious genealogy. Boaz and Ruth have a baby called Obed. He has a son called Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, who became King David, the hero of our children's Bibles, the ultimate king of the Old Testament. He brought the nation peace and prosperity. He helped the nation worship God. And later on, many of the prophecies, they spoke of the Messiah who was to come would be from the line, the lineage of David. So David, he ends the book of Ruth. His name is there. And his name is synonymous with hope. Despair at the start and hope at the end. It's really interesting. This, this journey into hope it is also reflected in the progression of how Ruth herself is described. Do you remember at the start, she is Ruth the Moabite, the foreigner. And then in chapter two, she's not even at the status of a servant. She's below servancy. She's like a slave. In, in chapter three, she describes herself, I, I am Ruth, your servant. But then in chapter four, she's a wife and a mother, and then ultimately great-grandmother to King David. But do you see the progression? The progression from outsider to insider, from, from excluded to included. It's fascinating all the way through the book. Naomi in chapter one experiences deaths, but new life in chapter four. It's the journey of curse to blessing, of bitterness to happiness, emptiness to fullness, and despair to hope. I wonder, even this morning, how many of us could do with a bit of hope uh, right now? Maybe a clearer perspective, that longer perspective, deeper perspective, a reminder of, of our identity, maybe a renewal of our purpose. So now we're in chapter four itself, and we've had that uh, slightly odd account of Boaz uh, redeeming Ruth and Naomi and his interaction with this other family member who has no recorded name. Now remember Naomi, uh, she left that home, that town uh, years before and now she's back but with no immediate family, with no male heir in, in a very patriarchal society. That was a problem for her and it meant that for Naomi and Ruth who's with her, it, it meant for them to own land or to have children for their family name to continue, which was so important, for them to even be respected and honoured and have dignity in the community, for them to be cared for into old age, all those important things, for that to happen, they needed someone to step in. They needed help. They needed rescue. And this is the idea, of course, of the guardian redeemer or the kinsman redeemer. And Hills actually explained it to us really well last week. The nearest male relative next of kin, kinsman redeemer, was able to buy the land, was able to take the, the women into his household and provide for them. And Boaz was the relative 
but there was one person ahead of him uh, in line, in the queue, so to speak. Now, this exchange uh, is so interesting. It tells us there are three things needed to be a redeemer. And I, I got these like, three titles, which I'll hang this bit on, uh, from David Platter, a pastor uh, in America. So first, to in order to redeem, one must have the right to redeem. Now, we read about that interaction, how he secured the right from this unnamed relative. And indeed, the other relative said, okay, I, actually, I, I, don't, I don't want this right. I surrender it to you. And here's my smelly sandal just to prove that. That was a bit weird, but that's what they did. In order to redeem, one must have the right to redeem. Second, one must have the resources to redeem. That's the second thing, because Boaz would then have to pay for the land and he'd have to take in the ladies into his household, into his family and provide for them. One must have the right, one must have the resources. But the third thing is one must have the resolve to redeem. And I guess this is the thing that was missing from that other relative because redeeming wasn't straightforward. The actual land and the property and the title would end up passing to any children and they would bear the title as soon as they were of age on behalf of Naomi's uh, husband, Elimelech, who had previously died. So for Boaz, it's not going to benefit him financially. It's actually, this whole thing will cost him dearly. But he shows the kindness we heard about last week. He knows it's the right thing to do. This is a kindness that costs. So he has the right, he has the resources, and he has the result. Now think about the big picture. We've got characters that need rescuing. We've got a redeemer who pays the price to give them a hope and a future and new life. Isn't that interesting? Characters need rescuing. A redeemer who pays a price to give them hope and a future. I wonder if that reminds you of anything. If the penny hasn't dropped, it will do in just a moment. I wonder if you can look at the end of the chapter if you've got it there. And this is the genealogy. And we see uh, Ruth and Boaz. They have their child Obed. Obed has Jesse. Jesse then has David, among a number of others. Now, flick forward, if you can, to Matthew chapter 1. That's the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. And again, this starts with a genealogy. Ruth finishes with a genealogy. Matthew starts with one. Look at verses five and six. And here we see those names again, Ruth and Boaz and Obed and Jesse and David. Now look a bit further forward, verse 16, Matthew 1, 16. Here we come across Joseph and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And do you see what Matthew's doing? Matthew's connecting the dots all the way from Boaz and Ruth, all the way to the birth of Jesus. This extraordinary moment, the pivotal moment of human history where God becomes human, where he comes down to live. He's born as a child and lives uh, as one of us. And this boy, this little boy, becomes a man. Thirty odd years later, he starts his ministry. And one of the things he says in identifying himself, he says this. It's in Matthew chapter 20. He describes himself as the son of man. And he says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is extraordinary. You see, he, he came, his birth, 
to give his life, his death, as a ransom, as a ransom for many. He's using the language, isn't he, of, of redemption, of redeemer. In fact, he's saying, I am the redeemer. I am the ultimate redeemer. Now, we know from Ruth that the redeemer needs to have uh, the right, the resources, and indeed the resolve. Did Jesus have those? Well, did he have the right? Yes, because he lived as one of us. He became, God became human. He was like us in every way, but yet without sin. So in every other aspect, he was like us. He was one of us. He was akin to us, kinsman of us, kinsman redeemer. So did he have the right? Yes, he absolutely had the right. Did he have the resources? Well, we're, we're told that he is the one who had all authority in heaven and on earth. I reckon that's the resources. He had the authority over the elements to stop the wind and the wave, to walk on the water, as we heard uh, in the little kids slot earlier. He has the right over sin. He has the authority to forgive sin. He absolutely has the resources. He has authority over demons. He's got the right. He's got the resources. Maybe the question is, does he have the resolve? Because this is going to cost. And we know that Jesus had the resolve because he went to the cross and that takes resolve. He said, I will do whatever it takes and I will go. And he not only did he have the humiliation, the torture, the execution on the cross, but, but also in doing so, he took on my sin and your sin and he took it on himself to the point where the father turned his face away. And Father said, I can't, I can't look because that, that is sin. And Jesus took that moment so that we might be forgiven. Friends, the book of Ruth is extraordinary. It's not a, just a cute love story. It's, the reason it's endured for thousands of years is that it's a rescue story. And it points to the even greater rescue story, the story of God rescuing you, the story of God rescuing me. You know, the, the brokenness of our world, it's, it's so evident, isn't it? We see it on the news the whole time. Even this year, so many things are just so tragic. But, but the brokenness in here is also so evident. There's, there's darkness in, in every one of us. That We all have this tendency to selfishness and pride, to anger when we don't get our own way, to judgmentalism. When, when we see that flaw in someone else, we're like, look at that. We've all been hurt by others, but also we have all hurt others. And, and the Bible calls this this universal problem. The Bible calls it sin. And it's something that we can't fix by ourselves. We can't rescue ourselves from this. We need to be rescued. And that's where Jesus comes in. We need a redeemer to pay the price, to clear the debts, to give us hope and a future. Jesus is that redeemer. Now, I know many of you will be listening and you'll be nodding, going, yes, yes, that's right. Uh, well, make sure today, if that's you, make sure today you find the time, that you carve out the time to express your gratitude to him for all he has done. Maybe reflect with him and ask, am I actually living this out? Am I living in the reality of this? Is, is this evident by the way I live, by the way I talk? Uh, is there anything, Lord, that you want to uh, adjust in the way I live or my priorities? Is my life characterized by 
by faith and hope and joy. Now, of course, I don't want to minimize uh, the hardships of life. Uh, I know some of them well. Uh, no doubt you will uh, too. But like Job, who knew many hardships, I do know that my Redeemer lives. That's his phrase. I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the end, I will see him face to face. There's an amazing line from a song uh, that you might, you might know. The line goes, if the story isn't good, then the story isn't done. It's about perspective. Our series uh, is called Faith in Unfamiliar Times. Ruth had it in the unfamiliar times for her. Do we have this faith, this hope? This is a story of rescue and a story of hope. Guys, never give up on him who will never give up on you. And maybe just before we pray, there may be some of you watching right now and, and, and you're aware that you have not yet been rescued or, or redeemed in, in this way by, by Jesus. And maybe my question to you is today the day? Is today the day where, where maybe you put your hands up and go, actually, I know I need this. I know I need that rescue because I can't do anything about it on my own. Maybe today is the day that you might accept his invitation. He, he knows you. He loves you. He went to the cross and died for you. And now he invites you to come and give your heart to him. Acknowledge your need of him. So I'm going to pray and then I'll hand back to Tim and Hills. Father, I just want to say thank you for your love. Uh, for every one of us uh, online and our families, thank you for sending Jesus, the ultimate redeemer. Who, who died for us, and not especially uh, maybe for those today who have not yet been rescued, but maybe today is the moment. Maybe they, Lord, may they turn to you and, and like us say, Lord, I'm so sorry for the things I know I've done wrong. Lord, I know I need someone to help. I know I need that redeemer. Please be that for me. Holy Spirit, please fill my life and lead me into a new life with you. In Jesus' name.